In our series this spring in the Master's Workshop, we uh, will can be continuing next week. wanted to give you a, a heads up for the scripture that we're going to be looking at next week. It's actually going to be Pastor Dan preaching from Deuteronomy chapter 11. So if, if you wanted to read ahead and study a little bit what's coming next week, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21, the subject for next week is the uh, spiritual discipline of study. So there you go. We've taken as our theme verse Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And we are affirming the fact together that every single one of us is a work in progress. That none of us have arrived. We are not finished. I went to a, a, a seminar when I was a teenager called Bill Gothard's Basic Youth Conflicts. Did anybody else go to that? Oh, some of you did, yes. Huge crowds would gather and this man would teach us all these concepts about uh, how to be a disciple of Jesus. And as I look back on it, I think a lot of it had to do with just keeping kids in line and on, on task with the Lord. But we all were encouraged to wear a button. And the button had letters on it. P, B, P, G, I, F, W, M, Y. That's all it said, just white button. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. <laughs> and that is such a really, it's such a great truth to realize no matter who you are, no matter what your age, no matter where you've come from, that if you are, if you have said yes to Jesus, that he is working on you, he's working in you, he's changing you from the inside out. If you are willing to say, yes, Lord, I want to be your person, I want to follow you as your disciple, then God is working on you. He's transforming you into being more like himself by the renewing of your mind. So that's what we've been talking about in these weeks. And these are actually what's classically known as spiritual disciplines. We've looked at the, the discipline of prayer. We've looked at the uh, discipline of meditation. Today is the discipline of solitude. So we begin here with a story from Jesus. Now, in these stories from the Gospels, there are often multiple things going on at once. Sometimes several themes are present that one could choose to highlight any one of them or to examine any one of them. Take, for example, Jesus' most famous story, the prodigal son or the, the prodigal. First, there is the younger son and his disrespectful, even disgraceful treatment of his father, demanding the inheritance before his father even died, which was tantamount to saying to his father, Dad, I wish that you were dead. Because he asked for his 
inheritance before his father had died. But when he finally comes to his senses, there's then the theme of his father's love. This unexpected, unabashed, unrelenting love where the father sees the son a long way off and runs to him. Something that in that culture, a mature man would never do to pick up his robes and run. But this is a picture of the love of the father as he embraces him with grace and mercy. Then there's the elder son and his indignant anger. And again, the father's response, your brother was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. So you look at that story and you might ask, what is the story about? The younger son's sin? The father's grace? The older son's self-righteous attitude? And the answer comes. Yes. <laughs> and the fact is that it's about all these things. It's one of the reasons we remember that great story is because there are layers of meaning. Multiple things happening at once. It's so rich. So we have our story today from Luke chapter 5. What's this about? Is it about the fact that Jesus, the healer of diseases, is willing to touch a contagious man? Even though social and religious and even health practices forbade such touching, is this story about that? So perhaps we should be willing to touch, to love the unlovable? Was it that this man, this leper, was marginalized by his community? And that Jesus, the healer of relationships, gave this man back to his community and restored his family and friends to him. So are, are we then to learn from the example of Jesus' work to heal relationships so that we might work towards similar goals? Is it about that? Was it that Jesus told the man, not to talk about his healing. Not even pass, go, and collect $200. <laughs> but rather, go directly to the priest to have his healing confirmed. And then to take his offering to the priest, to the temple, in order to testify to the healing. Even though apparently he didn't follow those directions, Or was it the point of the story that, that Jesus, as a result of all of this, regularly secluded himself to pray and be with his father? Because things were just so busy and crazy all the time. that he had to be alone. Is it about that? Well, you probably know I'm going to say again. Yes, again, multiple themes. The writer of this this gospel was very clever. The way I read this, the closing verse of this text portrays Jesus' 
pulling away to be by himself, to find solitude. And solitude is another form of that which he just healed the man. The leper's solitude was forced solitude. According to the law, lepers could not be with their communities. When you see leprosy in the New Testament or elsewhere in the Bible, actually, it refers to a whole range of diseases and uh, situations. Everything from simple mildew in a home to skin diseases that would include Hansen's disease, which is the, the disease that we often call leprosy these days. Very contagi contagious. Leprosy in the Bible could mean any of those things. But if someone was, was found to be leprous, to have leprosy, they were permanently marginalized. They could only be reunited with friends and family if they'd been healed and only then if the healing was attested and affirmed by a priest. When Jesus healed the leper, it was not only a medical healing, but it was also social. And it's a bit ironic, really, that he tells him not to go directly home or to work or to the market to engage on that social level, but rather to go and have his healing attested. He says to him, don't talk. Say nothing. Even though now you can, don't. And because he did not follow Jesus' instructions, that implication, the implication is clear here that the news about Jesus spread and the crowds became so large as to become oppressive for Jesus. And so he needed to, to get away by himself, to be alone, to be in quiet. Solitude. You know, he did this quite a bit, spending time alone. He began his ministry by being alone in the desert for 40 days. Matthew 4. Right before he chose his 12 disciples, he spent the night alone in a hilly desert region. Luke chapter 6. When he got the bad news about the death of John the Baptist, he, quote, withdrew from them in a boat to a lonely place apart. I was talking to Rick Hart this week about that would be a great thing to put on your boat. He withdrew from them in a boat to a lonely place apart. I can just, I can just picture that. <laughs> oh, to pray. <laughs> Matthew 14. <laughs> After the phenomenal miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 people, he sent his disciples away, and then again he went up into the hills by himself. Matthew 12. Following a strenuous night of ministry and work, in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went to a lonely place. Mark 1, 35. One time when the 12 disciples had returned from a mission, he told them to do this. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place. Mark 6, 31. The transfiguration. You know that story? On a hillside with just Jesus and three disciples. Matthew 17. And of course, in the most difficult evening of his life, 
as he prepared to do his most high and holy work, Jesus was found alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. Alone. Suffice it to say, this was routine for Jesus, as routine as you and me brushing our teeth or tying our shoes. He was by himself often. It was his practice. And especially when things got extra busy or stressful, he took time to be alone, to pray, to be quiet. So our series this spring is entitled In the Master's Workshop. And today I would like us to think about how we are transformed and how we are changed by God and how he works on us in ways that can only happen when we get away from the noise, the busyness and the pressures to spend time in silence with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the third chapter of his book, Life Together, he famously wrote, quote, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Our ability to be with other people, truly with other people, depends on our ability to get alone with God. Our ability to get alone with God comes out of our being with other folks. And I think Bonhoeffer was clearly taking his clues from Jesus because this is what we see in Jesus. His ability to be truly with others in a healing, loving way is all about his practice of being alone. This was his source of strength and power. But as Bonhoeffer also suggests, beware. Solitude is not as easy as it seems. <laughs> I have a friend who decided to take a day to be quiet and alone a whole day, never having tried it before. And he just about went crazy. <laughs> it was really tough. If you've never tried this, it's best to take smaller steps first. It may not be as easy as it seems. Those who try it for the first time may find themselves feeling very agitated or, or helpless or even out of control, maybe bored. <laughs> it's amazing how accustomed we have become to the noise of our world. And it's also amazing, think about this, how we use our own words to manipulate and control our lives. When we're uncomfortable, when we're stressed, how many of us seek 
somewhere to start speaking rather than being quiet. It's equally amazing how building the discipline of solitude into your life can be the key to finding perspective and strength and the ability to, to stay on track. I'm convinced that it's one of the ways we offer ourselves to the Lord in the master's workshop. So I'd like just to take the rest of our time this morning to, to think about some practical ways to do this. I'm aided here by the writing of Richard Foster. He makes practical suggestions about finding solitude in your life. So let's think about these. We all have opportunities for what Foster calls little solitudes in our days. Times when we can redeem moments of silence. Say you're driving in the car and you're stuck in traffic. The simple act of turning off the radio or turning off the music and just having quiet can be powerful. Let's say you arrive early for an appointment or you find yourself with a couple extra minutes. Stop, sit, be quiet before the Lord and just don't say anything, just be quiet and listen. It's amazing what happens. Do you pray before your meals as a family or as a couple or even by yourself? What if you once in a while with your family, instead of saying a prayer out loud, just decided to have a few moments of silence? together. It's powerful. And listen. Little solitudes. Another recommendation Foster makes is finding quiet spaces in your home. You know, we are really good, especially as Americans, we're really good at spaces. We create spaces for play in our lives. We have playrooms. We have exercise rooms. We set up our living spaces with fantastic entertainment op um, options, TVs and stereos and whatever. But do we ever think about our homes, about carving out a place for quiet and solitude? One of the things we did when we moved into the house we live in now 10 years ago, there was a shed. And I looked at that shed and I thought, you know, that would be a great space. And so I thought, I need a place. So we created this, uh, I needed a study, and I also wanted a place to do music, so we called it uh, a studio, so we called it a studio. <laughs> but it has, you know, we put carpet in there and, and um, some furniture, and it's a nice place to go most of the time, unless it's really cold outside. <laughs> But I have this place I can go where it's quiet. I was in there last night. I work on my, my messages in there on Saturday night. Sometimes I just go out there and I just sit. There's a comfortable chair. Some people have in their homes one chair that's designated as the quiet chair. And you know that if someone's sitting in that chair, what they're really saying without saying it is, I want to be quiet. And so everybody in the family knows not to talk to them at that time. 
It's a quiet space. There are other quiet spaces not in our homes. Some of our homes are just not conducive to this, either because of the size or the number of people who live there. But there are other quiet spaces. Did you know we have a prayer garden here? It's right outside that door. It was the Eagle Scout project uh, years ago of Sean DeLapp, and it's, it's still there, and it's a beautiful place to go. There's benches out there. It's a beautiful place to go and just be quiet. This sanctuary is available to you if you ever want to come here. During the day, five days a week, um, not Friday afternoons as much, but really almost every other time, this sanctuary is available. If you want to come and just be quiet, usually it's quiet in here. It's a wonderful quiet space. There's lots of other quiet spaces. There's parks. There's places you can go and be by yourself. Use them. Another quiet experience that, that Foster includes on his list of practical ideas, he calls it deeds without words. Choosing to do something in your life that doesn't involve speaking. Maybe it's doing something for someone else. It's just a kind act, maybe for somebody in your family, your spouse, or someone else, where you don't say anything, you just do it. And it's offered as a prayer, as a service. Maybe it's something in your community, where you, it's something you can do. I remember years ago, uh, one of the first things I was aware of about Kristen Cerniotti was that she was doing this during the season of Lent. She was bringing, she was walking to the church from her house and bringing the offering of something for the food bank and leaving it in the food bank basket without saying anything. She didn't tell anybody about it. I finally asked her after seeing her walk in and out of the building three or four times, what are you doing? <laughs> and she told me. But it was a deed without words. You might try taking a day without words. As I said, this is not to be attempted lightly. Some of us find it very easy to spend time by ourselves and not speak. Others of us, we have to work into it. I started about uh, 27 or so years ago, taking time just to be by myself and pray and not to talk to anybody. It used to be that you could get on the Washington State ferries and just ride them and they'd go back and forth and you didn't have to get off. It was great. I used to get on the Edmonds Ferry and ride it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It was a wonderful place to have a, a, a prayer day. And uh, with security concerns, now they make everybody get off the ferry every time. So it gets kind of expensive to ride back and forth. Plus you have to get up and move. But it was on one of those rides in, I think it was 1992, when I distinctly heard God saying, your time of being a youth and music pastor is almost finished. It's time for you to be a preacher. And that was the beginning of a whole new chapter in my life. Later, I, I, I used to go to a park. We didn't live near the ferry anymore, so I went to a park and I, and I would walk on the beach, walk and walk and walk. And lately, it, it's kind of morphed into long walks in urban spaces. <laughs> so I go downtown Seattle 
and I take the, the ferry down, I mean, not the ferry, the train downtown Seattle really early in the morning. I get off and I have a, a breakfast and I sit and I read my Bible and then I start walking and I walk all day. I start out at the waterfront. I walk to uh, Lake Union. I walk to the Arboretum. I walk down to Lake Washington. I walk back into downtown Seattle. I mean, it's a long walk. Sometimes it's, it's uh, between 10 and 15 miles. And God's given me the ability to walk long distances. But I just, I don't talk to anybody. A lot of the time, I don't even listen to anything. I'm just walking and saying, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. That's something I've kind of had to work into. But I will tell you that my ability to be able to continue doing this work of ministry for over 30 years is directly related to those times of being alone in prayer. It gives me strength. It gives me perspective. It gives me, I think, sanity at times. But that quiet, that quiet is so powerful. I have this memory that I love of an experience that has happened rarely. And it's, it is just one of my favorite things. You know, it doesn't snow here very often in the Puget Sound area. And when it does, it paralyzes us. <laughs> People in different parts of the country think we're really silly because a little snow and everything stops. I absolutely love it. One of my favorite experiences, and it's only happened a handful of times, is when it really snows in the Puget Sound area, when it really comes down. And on that first night of snow, I love going outdoors because the level of silence is just thick. Have you had this experience? That's amazing. Nobody is out driving because they're all terrified. And everything gets canceled. So there's no reason to go anywhere. People stay at home. I picture them drinking their hot chocolate in front of the fire and just kind of hunkering down. But what happens outdoors is just fantastic. It reminds me of the way it must have been 150 years ago, every night. No noise, no cars, even the airplanes aren't flying. It's just quiet, quiet, quiet. I love that. I just, when it's, the next time it snows, if you see someone out walking around, you know who it is, because it's gonna be me. <laughs> but sometimes, we just need that. We just need to slow down. God does not need our speed. Solitude can be like that snowy night in your life. Creating space for God to speak to you. It can change you. And it's a source of strength. It was for Jesus, and it can be for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.